Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're taking on the most common myths and concerns around birth traumas and exploring ways to avoid them. The statistics for those who consider their births to have been traumatic can range between 25 and a whopping 49%. So what can you do to improve the chances of having a lovely birth and not be part of that statistic? Bianca Sprague and Natasha Marchand tell us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Expectful, an evidence-based guided meditation app created specifically for those trying to conceive, pregnant, or new moms. Reduce your stress, reduce your complications, and improve your connection to your baby and partner. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas-to-be, Mighty Dads and Dads-to-be, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. Hello, hello, everybody. As always, I want to thank you so, so much for all your ratings, your reviews, for telling people about the Birthful Podcast and just all, just all that awesomeness. So thank you so, so much. I am excited today to share that um, I've got some news. So the Birthful Podcast is now part of the Parents on Demand Network, which is a collection of podcasts with content specifically created for families. So basically, the Parent on Demand Network, Parents on Demand Network, is a host of Uh, it hosts a selection of wonderful parenting-related podcasts to make it super easy for you to find and subscribe the show to the shows that are specific to your interests. So Parents on Demand has an app you can download to have quick access to all those shows at once on your phone. Check it out at parentsondemand.com. There's that S, Parents ondemand.com. And one of the awesome shows that is part of Parents on Demand Network that I wanted to tell you about is the Informed Pregnancy Podcast, which is hosted by the prenatal chiropractor, Dr. Elliot Berlin. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while or have gone back to gobble up episodes, uh, you may remember Dr. Berlin from when I had him here on the show to talk about chiropractic care. Dr. Berlin was a delight to talk with, and I recommend you check out his own show where he also interviews pregnancy and parenting experts, along with celebrities and new and expectant parents searching for unbiased information. Uh, for example, some of his most recent guests have been actor and singer-songwriter Amanda Seyfried, blogger and actor Teresa Palmer, and comedic actor Casey Wilson, who are all, of course, moms. Go check out the podcast at informpregnancy.com or take a deeper look into all the different shows that the Parents on Demand Network has to offer at parentsondemand.com. All right. I've got not one, but two fabulous guests on the show today. Again, uh, Bianca Sprague and Natasha Marchand are from Bebo Mia, and they're here to talk about the most common myths and concerns around birth traumas and explore ways on how to avoid them. Also, Natasha even reveals a bit of the mental adjustments she's had to go through due to some unexpected events that completely upended her birth plan um, at the time of recording she was pregnant so that had been causing a lot of anxiety for her and yeah so here they are let's get right to it Bianca and Natasha welcome to the show 
Thank Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And you guys are doing like so much to help within the maternity field and and empower moms and empower uh, birth workers as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit of what you're up to and who you are? All right. Well, Natasha and I have kind of an interesting story. Um, We started working together after meeting, sitting on a board of directors about 10 years ago now. And we started Babomia here in Toronto, and it started as a place for a one-stop shop for families. So the focus at that time was pregnancy and parenting services, so doula care, breastfeeding support. Um, And then Natasha at the same time was going through a fertility struggle, and so she found it really like we wanted to expand into the preconception. So our focus was the fertility, pregnancy, and parenting for families Um, And then once again, Natasha's journey (laughs) changed our business Um, and she got transferred to Vancouver with her husband. Well, her husband did and she obviously went along with him. (laughs) I thought I'd be supportive. Good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so we had to move our business online, which was at the time really scary. And it felt like we were never going to have that human connection that we had in our clinic here in Toronto. And Um, It just felt like such a huge move. It ended up being the best thing that ever happened to our business because um, in moving online, we got to get our classes and programs out globally Mm -hmm. and we changed our focus uh, to be exclusively um, providers, so pregnancy and parenting practitioners. And it's just grown from there. So now we are an education facility that um, provides both the skills training as well as the business training for people who want to be birth workers or parenting professionals. Yeah, very cool. And we were talking earlier, you that's not just limited to the birth, and, and but you also um, focus or give trainings in sleep to helping with, with new parents with sleep and, um, and breastfeeding as well, right? Yeah, so we had um, spent a bit of time, you know, really solidifying our doula training and making sure that it was you know, everything we wanted to be and everything that we felt we had lacked in our own doula training. And, and, and once we did that, then we started really being able to listen to what our um, participants really needed and what they needed more of. Mm-hmm. And they always were talking about their, their clients, you know, at the four week mark, and then the four month mark, we're always coming back with sleep questions. Um, there was a lot of people who wanted to do sleep like they wanted their kids to sleep better. They wanted their babies to sleep better, but they weren't comfortable with like what is out there as far as information in the mainstream. So we really wanted to do something really different with sleep. And so then we started our, our sleep education, which is really around the, um, the biology of sleep and how babies actually sleep and managing expectations around sleep. Um, and it's been an amazing program. So really we've spent the last couple of years just seeing what people truly need and then hopefully giving it, giving it to them. Yeah. I think giving it to them. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> and I love that it comes from, a, from the, from a evidence and biology, right. Of what, not just, trying to apply some behavioral or adult com- concepts to sleep but but from actually what are the biological needs of of kids and how does that connect to what parents can give and so it's super interesting because yeah sleep is like the last frontier of hurdles that after the birth yeah absolutely and it's and it's a subject that is so hard to navigate you know if anybody's ever been on any mom's forums like 
you say anything about sleep and it's so polarizing. Mm. Um, so really just trying to give as much, you know, factual information and studied and researched information as we can so that myths aren't getting thrown out there so widely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough space to manage, I yeah. think, as a professional. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for tackling it. <laughs> for we're, sure. we're trying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. We slip up from time to time, right? Like, you know, there, it, it's, it's this fine balance between, um, you know, making sure that all of our clients have, have the choice and make the decisions they want. And then, of course, talking about things that you're really, truly passionate about and really want um, people to know about without, you know, coming across as pushy or a know-it-all or, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, And you mentioned myths. Today, we're going to be talking about different kinds of myths, not sleep myths, but birth trauma myths and concerns and how to avoid them. And I'm super excited to hear what you have to say, because I, in my mind, when you, when you contacted me to propose this topic, I never thought of like birth trauma myths, you know, like birth trauma issues and things, but I never considered some of them had put that label of myths on my thoughts. So I'm curious to see what you have in store. Well, we are very excited to talk about this as well. Um, but interestingly, the myths, uh, yeah, well, did you want us to start with that? Yeah, yeah. What are some of the myths around birth trauma? Um, well, let's first start with what birth trauma is. Yes. So it's usually um, some kind of traumatic event, which we're going to talk about how we define that. Um, but it's we can see something called PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. And this occurs after a childbirth that, you know, something happened for the birthing person that was triggering for them. Um, some of the stats around it is as high as 9% of new mothers are experiencing PTSD in their birth experience, which, I mean, that's a staggering number to think that one in 10 are going to be going through this major psychological um, experience that is, it can be crippling depending on the extent of it. Um, so, I mean, anybody that works in the birth space can see how these things happen, but we, we are going to talk about, um, you know, how these how this PTSD occurs. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but some of the myths around it. So we hear like birth trauma is being thrown around in the media. Um, It's gaining awareness, which is a positive thing. Like it's what we want to see. I mean, there's now settlements in the U S being awarded for families um, having a birth experience that was well off from what was promised to them from their healthcare practitioner. Yeah. And a big Um, shout out to Kristen Pascucci and birth monopoly for like even wanting to put it like defining obstetric violence and putting it out there in the media and giving it like a a name so that we could focus the energy that way yeah for sure i mean i mean there's and the countries that are adopting it's interesting the countries actually i believe venezuela was the first country to actually um like accept the legal term obstetric violence yeah, and I had a conversation, I'm a segue, but I had a conversation with Kristen about this. And in paper, it looks really great. But in practice, it does like it didn't translate. And right now, Venezuela is in a whole different reality of, um, you know, collapse is the word. And, and now newborns are dying of just of malnutrition and not having the technology like electricity shorts out and then you have 
you know, incubators that are not working or and and so it is a very it's it's such horrific. I like it's hard for me to talk about it because I can't even like grasp this and the enormity of what's happening and trying to explain it. Um, but they did embrace obstetric of the, the concept of obstetric violence, but it didn't really I think it was more of just using it as a as a witch hunt and 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 in terms of obstetricians rather than an actual plight to improve maternal health unfortunately mm, yeah. unfortunately so the focus being more like versus the benefit to the birthing families right of yeah. of just more constraints and laws and 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 you know trying to control the medical field more rather mm-hmm. than actual focus on benefits to families and have a more supportive birth itself. Because, you know, if the government had the idea of really improving maternal health, then it wouldn't be in the state that it is right now. It, it, and and it, it affects, it, it's coming as a devi- as a, an association from the economic situation and from, like, it's just, it's too deep for us to go into it here. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, but when Kristen brought it up to me, I was like, yeah, I know they did that. And it sounds great to, like, the international community, it, make, it makes them seem really great. But mm, it was just window washing. Yeah, lots of work to do. Yeah. So sorry, my Venezuelan heart fire gets like, yes, but no. (laughs) We get it. (laughs) Um, But no, we are seeing, I mean, the state of the birth. I know Canada, we tout ourselves as way better than America, but we're really not that different in what's happening in those hospital rooms and with healthcare providers. Um, So, I mean, what we always assume that it has to be like a big dramatic event that to create birth trauma. And that brings us into the first myth Mm -hmm. is that, um, it does, you know, either come for a woman with a history of trauma. So a woman with, you know, a history of sexual abuse or incest or something like that, that we then are like, Oh, we would see more trauma in a birth experience inherently in that. And, and so that's one of our first myths that we want to dispel is that, birth trauma does not only happen to women with traumatic histories. Um, although it can also be triggering. Um, but you know, how we're defining trauma, it could be something that you or I or Natasha, like all of us in our birth experiences might have something happen that's not traumatic, but it might be traumatic for somebody else. Um, like one of the others of us, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that is really important because a lot of people go in thinking like, Oh, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm fine and I feel really stable and I'm comfortable with my body, but we don't know what is going to be triggering for a birthing person. Right. And I find there's a lot of that in birth as well of like, oh, that happens to other people, not to me. And yeah, I can see and and kind of experience that myself of like nothing, like not having experience with trauma before thinking that happens to other people and then going into birth and having it be way more intense and earth shaking than I thought it was going to be um and being left with some with lots of things to process from that yeah that's right and it and so some people will fly under the radar if people are only looking for women who have passed traumatic histories when we're talking about um, post-traumatic stress disorder. So absolutely, um, new trauma can be caused by childbirth. 
Um, so we're, we should be, you know, keeping an eye on all women and, and validating all women in their, in their stories, um, regardless of their past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, what other myths do you have? And uh, did we define birth trauma specifically? Um, I think we might've jumped from. Yeah. I mean, birth trauma, it's, it's a, I mean, it's, it is what it is for each person, right? So the lack of dignity or being bullied um, while in a heightened emotional vulnerable state, that could be something that's traumatic for the birthing person. It's really what they would experience as trauma. Um, so for some for some birthing people, it might be the act of, of not getting their epidural when they were promised one. And that in and of itself can be trauma. But when we look at it, we're like, well, you had an awesome natural vaginal delivery. Like that's a really that's, you know, the ideal birth in air quotes, of course. <laughs> um, but to them, that was something that their expectation and their reality were, were too far off. And, you know, you add that with hormones and vulnerability and fatigue, and it's it can be a traumatic event. Yeah, it's definitely in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's definitely markers when we talk about post-traumatic stress or traumatic birth. Um, so like we were talking about, it can be past trauma that is kind of relived during childbirth. Like that is uh, one risk factor for, um, tra a traumatic birth, but there's so many others. So people who have gone through birth and experienced, um, death or injury during their birth or even, um, preemies is a big thing too. A lot of, um, parents who give birth to babies early, will experience some sort of birth trauma afterwards. I think I think the last study that I read was up to 50% of people who spend time in the intensive care unit. Um, there's, you know, people who experience pain, um, sometimes fear. Um, so sometimes even fear that's perpetuated by the healthcare professionals. So sometimes, you know, I, I mean, you know this and Bianca knows this and birth professionals know this, that sometimes um, OBs or midwives will talk about risks in a much bigger way than it actually is. So they'll say, oh, you know, if you wait two more days, your baby could die. You know, so that's a fear. And that's a huge fear when really this statistically it wasn't quite so high. Um, but sometimes it can be perpetuated that way. Um, uh, unnecessary or, or unplanned interventions. Um, if you feel bullied, if you feel like you're not being heard, um, all of that can be um, people being at, at risk for trauma. But also, like, people who are experienced post-traumatic stress disorder or birth trauma, um, there, are, there are definitely signs. This, this is what makes it different from postpartum depression is that there's these intrusive thoughts or these flashbacks that happen where your mind actually relives what it's gone through. So your mind can, can kind of make sense of what happened. So you're being flashed back to this, but it feels very, very real. Um, so that's one of the big key markers of post-traumatic post stress disorder. Um, people can be anxious, like really high arousal. Um, did, they can feel attached, detached or avoidant of, you know, anything that was involved with their trauma. So like even their babies. Um, so those are all kind of, I mean in a really small nutshell, every, <laughs> everything about, um, birth trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because it can be something that happens when you're experiencing pain or fear inherently, and, and, you know, in the unknown inherently birth sort of has that built into it. So already the, 
the conditions are kind of set for not necessarily taking much in, you know that not much will nudge it over the edge exactly and you know the way that birth goes these days in most countries is that you're you're going through this fear and this pain which is kind of inherent um in birth but you don't have the supportive factors around you to help with that and that can be another risk factor so if you know if you're going through pain or if you're you are suffering and the people around you aren't listening and they're not hearing and they're not um you know facilitating your care and on an emotional level then you're certainly at risk yeah 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 for sure um so okay we we're taking it <laughs> it's totally my fault totally That's my okay. fault that we're doing this winding road about the myths um so the first myth you mentioned was that it can happen to anybody not just people who have experienced trauma in the past what other myths do you have yeah we kind of blended a couple so in our conversation but um that also that that trauma can only happen with serious complications so it doesn't always mean you know the loss of of your baby or you know a a crisis or crash cesarean or like you know those those stories that are you know these crazy birth stories um, that they can be, these things can happen with just something like a lack of informed consent or um, feeling like you're suffering at any time during your birth. Um, but one of the other myths that we think is really important to talk about is that um, you're just going to forget about your trauma. Like some people are, you know, you say like, oh, well, you won't remember your birth, you know, in the next year or two. Or if you have another baby, it's going to like wipe the slate clean, um, which we know is is absolutely not the case. Um, and, and it can just increase that tocophobia if you do have trauma associated with your previous delivery. And it's really important that that attention is given to um, heal and cope and, and uh, you know, acknowledgement of your trauma before you, you know, go into birth for a second or, or subsequent time. Absolutely. And it can be even even more difficult because you're put in a situation that can be again very triggering so if you, if it, if you hadn't properly processed processed it and had you know find a way to be to not be experiencing the post traumatic stress anymore and you just jump into another birth it's going to be tough yeah absolutely and if if people are talking to a woman who's experienced trauma in this way and minimizing her feelings and her thoughts it's just going to give her more feelings of guilt and trauma and, you know, piled on top of each other when really she, she at this point is going, people experiencing birth trauma need to reach out for help and for support, um, especially before they go on to their, their next birth. Um, because, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder can lead to a whole host of other things, including postpartum depression and, and things that can be very dangerous and scary. So we want people to be getting help, not minimizing their feelings or making them feel so guilty that they can't reach out or don't want to reach out or feel like they're silly for reaching out. Yeah. And knowing um, that even if they have reached out and if they have like d done the work, put in the work, that when they're in the midst of that second birth, things can come up anyway and be triggering. So to have like a plan and support in case they do of how, you know, how to approach it and deal with it mm -hmm, in a positive way. Yeah. 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 And really just being aware, like as a birth worker, being aware that, you know, 
just because you experience something in someone's birth as trauma, they may not. Or just because you saw somebody's birth as being beautiful and natural and empowering, they may not. So making sure that they have the platform to speak to you about these things. Because I, I know we've been there, you know, Bianca and I have been there where we, we've been at birth that look like a beautiful, silent, hypnobirth. Um, but inside there was something else totally different going on. Um, and, you know, if you run into their birth, you know, into the postpartum meeting and you're like, your birth was so empowering and beautiful and, you know, everything that, you know, we talk about and want to see. Um, if you put labels on someone else's birth before they have a chance to talk about it, then they may not never feel like they can reach out. Um, so being really aware that we're not putting our experiences of someone else's birth onto them. Oh, absolutely. And I just had a, a, an experience similar to that, like you're describing it. And, and I spoke to like, I have permission to share this. And it was, you know how after the baby is born, there's usually a lot of hustle and bustle and noise. And like, you try to make it peaceful and calm in a hospital environment, but it's, there's a lot of interruptions anyway. Yes. And and so there was right yeah and so there was this birth and for some reason there weren't many people in the room it was just the midwife and the nurse myself the parents um, baby had been born and everything got really quiet and calm and so much so that I was like oh, it's so nice and calm in here well it turns out and and the mom was having some she was bleeding quite a bit and you know the midwives they were taking care of it everything like nothing was urgent or scary it was just an issue that had to be addressed and taken care of but in my mind everything was like you know that's been taken care of and it's so calm and peaceful that rarely happens well I spoke to the dad afterwards and in his mind it was the most terrifying and hard moment he's ever had in his life because to him the quiet meant that something was up and that there was an issue that was being addressed and he was seeing all this amount of blood and he had no idea of how much is normal and it's even, even when you do it's kind of hard to tell you know understand how much blood has actually come out um and he was he had a moment where he was like oh no is this gonna mean like I'm gonna have a baby but lose my wife? And so he was in total, absolute terror. And I was on the other side thinking like, oh, this is so nice and calm. Yeah, it's. I mean, you don't know. It, that's a that's an amazing example. It just couldn't be more perfect because you you don't know how everybody's experiencing what's happening, especially when people they are. You know, he probably hasn't seen birth that often and. His and wife that, probably hasn't given birth that often. Right, but actually he had because he used to work on a farm and he used to help. But so that so he was fine with blood. But to that moment, it just it was like too much for him. And we did speak about it afterwards. And he did realize that he was having that when you're going back to, you know, make sure you ask for help and get help and process the situation. He understood it, and it took him several days to talk about it. And he finally was able to open up and, pro and, and like he says, every time I talk about it, it gets easier. Um, mm -hmm. But but it was horrifying for him. And fortunately, I he felt comfortable enough to talk about it without, you know, I hadn't necessarily put labels on it, even though I, he commented on the quiet and I thought, Oh that, yeah, that was, he's like, no, it was terrifying. Yeah. It, it is really, I love how Tash said it though, that you, you, you know, don't put labels on someone else's experience and let them name it first. 
Um, because I know that we have examples of, you know, similar to what you're saying or where I've, you know, called Natasha crying after a birth being like, that was so intense. And I'm like, just rocked by it. And then when I check in at the postpartum meeting, they're like, that was so beautiful and calm and exactly what we wanted. And I was like, wow, okay, well, that's, (laughs) that's your experience. And the opposite has obviously happened as well. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But it's a nice segue into, you know, you seeing a really calm, happy um, experience and someone else seeing it differently. But um, one of our other myths that we think is really important to discuss is that we have a baseline of like a mom and a baby having a heartbeat. And that should be like acceptable because that is the healthcare practitioners, you know, that's their end goal. So it's really important that we don't, you know, the myth of everyone's healthy and alive. So you should be grateful um, is because I know that that stops a lot of people from discussing their birth trauma because they're like, well, I do have a healthy baby and, and I am, you know, for the most part unscathed physically. Um, so it can elevate those feelings of guilt or, or stop somebody from reaching out because, um, they, you know, should just be satisfied with what they have. And, and that unfortunately keeps a lot of that birth trauma cycle happening and, and women suffering in silence because, um, they're hesitant to to reach out to get support. Mm, yeah, that's a huge one. The whole, it's all, you have a healthy, you know, the goal is a healthy baby and a healthy mom. Well, yes, and more things. <laughs> yeah, many more things. Yeah, we do know for sure that, um, you know, how we give birth and our feelings around how we give birth affect how we parent and how we move into our second round of parenting and all of those things. So we really want to make sure that people feel like they're able to reach out and talk about these things. And I find, personally, I find it really difficult because uh, I spend a lot of time in mom's groups. I tend to be the person in our business that is more social and going out there and like um, being a part of these mom's groups because I really enjoy that. I, I enjoy being around moms and I enjoy being around babies. But when people are talking about their birth experience, um, you know, two experiences might be the same, but one mom might feel so completely different about how it went for her and not be able to say so because, you know, it, we're not even helping each other as mothers, really, um, when it comes to things. Because we'll even say that to each other. Like, we want to minimize. We want to take away the feelings of pain and hurt. We want to say those things that we think are healing, but they're they're not, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it takes a little bit of time to be able to sit with discomfort. We're not used to sitting in our day-to-day lives. We want everything to be comfortable and good. And sitting with somebody else's discomfort, you want to jump in and fix it. You want to make it better or you want to like help them out instead of just listening because it requires you to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in, in a big form like that, um, being able to say out loud that this is how you're feeling after that birth and you're having these thoughts and you know, these anxieties and you feel different than you used to, um, there, it's really hard to find a platform where that feels safe. Mm. Yeah, which goes back to like, you've got to find your village. You've got to find like, it's out there, but it requires work, right? And you might not be in a place to be able to. Yeah, it's so tough. That's why, that's why like things like this of, of talking about it ahead of time and being kind of prepared for the possibility of it and setting up being not afraid to ask for help can then if you experience it, will set you up for being more open to getting that help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the last myth that we had, um, 
is that hiring support will solve this problem. Um, so this idea um, that because you hire a doula, you will not experience birth trauma. Um, you know, we do know, I mean, there's no bigger advocates for doula work than Bianca and I. <laughs> um, we do know how much that, that we help and we do know how much we can make things better and we can be this huge change. Um, but we have to be really careful as birth workers not to be promising these types of things. Um, not to be saying, you know, talking with clients who come to you, you know, maybe with past um, histories that have been traumatic and saying, you know what, well, now you have a doula, so, you know, that's not going to happen. You'll mm. be fine. Yeah. So our work really does need to be non-outcome focused because we know that even even the risk of having your plans change dramatically can be traumatic. Mm -hmm. uh, so we want to make sure that when we're talking with our clients, we're not making promises or, or, or talking about outcomes that may or may not happen, regardless of how much we know the outcome could happen. And there's no way to tell. You can't promise that because nobody knows what's going to happen and how they're going to feel about it. Yeah, I completely agree. We're not saviors. That's not our, that's not our role. We're not. That's right. Yeah. We want to be. I know. Like, I, I want to be able to go up to someone and truthfully say, like, you're going to be with me, so you're not going to have a traumatic birth. I wish I had that power. Um, and we do know a lot of the times we are, are helping so much that, you know, we are eliminating some of the risk factors. Like, we are talking about, um, you know, uh, choice. We're talking about informed consent. Um, we're talking about all the options so that nothing is like, you know, we talk about cesarean so that if a cesarean happens, they're not shocked by all the things that are, are happening or in this world of unknown, which can also cause more trauma, right? So we are doing all of these things that lessen the risk, but yeah. there's no guarantee. We don't know um, what's going to happen on the day. Exactly. You know, yeah, there's a lot of variability, and it's actually very interesting timing. So um, Natasha is due. She's nine months pregnant right now. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and she has a complete placental previa. So we've known for a while that we need to plan for an operative birth, and, you know, we everything was done, like, from meditation to acupuncture to herbs to, you know, everything to hope to move the placenta, and it didn't in this case. So... Um, but it was interesting that Natasha was promised the date for her um, birth. And today, or like this morning, it was um, changed um, to a date she specifically asked not to have it. And it was interesting just even witnessing or like trying to hold space for Natasha in our very <laughs> intimate relationship. Um, but that, the like, I don't want to go as far as trauma because Natasha hasn't named it that, but to like watch that whole experience when it was something like a date change. Um, and so, you know, like as a, as a provider, like, I mean, I support her, not necessarily like I'm not her hired support, but um, to, to be able to like, it's so out of my control. Right. So that's bringing into just because you have a doula doesn't mean that there won't be trauma associated with your birth. Um, because Natasha's going through a whole experience that, you know, impacts her emotionally and obviously then physically and that, that whole chain of events, which is something that was completely out of everyone's hands. Yeah. yeah. And I'm still I'm still not really talking about it because it just happened before our call. <laughs> so I spent a half an hour before talking to you crying. Um, oh, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's okay. You know, that's what you do. You know, you rub your mascara and the show goes on, right? Um, but it's kind of like, I know that, you know, I texted my mother who's coming to support me, like to help my first daughter while I'm in the hospital. And she's like, it's only five days difference. Mm. You know, like that's how she sees it, where I see it like he lied to me about when my date was going to be. We had a very open discussion about, you know, I want my baby to be as old as they can be before they're born. I have small babies like all it to me. It seemed like a lie. Like there was so much more emotion around it than just moving five days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can like. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm calling it traumatic just yet, but I've only had a minute to, <laughs> to process. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's so interesting how, how different people see it, like how Bianca could see right away that it was more of an emotional thing where like my mother, my very own mother was like, it's only five days. Don't worry about it. Right. And the, and that speaks to the importance also of creating some space to mourn what you're losing, even though it like, it doesn't mean that you can't, like, like you're saying, you're not necessarily naming it as traumatic. It doesn't mean that you can't accept and function with this new reality. But to have somebody acknowledge that this sucks, that this is not what you wanted, that this implies a whole other things and giving you space to mourn that, like even mourn. And I think that's important with all births because of their the nature that of that they you know you they're uncertain there's so much uncertainty around birth that even no matter what you'll never have like the exact birth that you plan in your head just because yeah. it's impossible something you can't we we can't plan that we can't like foresee that um if somebody out there can please contact me um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's a, that'll be your next podcast right how to have yeah. The perfect birth, guaranteed. 100%. Yeah. guaranteed. <laughs> exactly. But so there's always going to be some some required. This is something that is a huge life event. We put a lot into this emotionally. There are a lot of, of our emotions go into this event. So any little change, there's got to be some space for for accepting that it needs to be mourned and, and shift of that loss and the time you need and the support you need to be able to accept it and and then move forward on your own terms with that. And I think that goes back to a lot of the the importance of informed consent. It's not that I won't consent to having a cesarean. It's like just give me a minute to understand yeah. and 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 be able to move forward on my own terms and not feel like I'm being pushed into this. Like let me walk into it. Mhm. Yeah. It's true. It's that kind of like, I just need a minute to wrap my head around it. I'm probably not going to say no. Like, there's lots of things I could do. I could not show up. I could, you know, do all of those things. Um, But really what I just need is to be able to say like, okay, this is a little earlier than I had planned. And how am I going to, how am I going to wrap my head around it? And it's going to take a little longer. Um, You know, for some people, it's not a big deal. But for me, it, it truly is. And so I think as birth professionals, we have to be really aware of that and those kind of stories so that when people are telling you, you know, about their story, you're saying those validating words that are like, like you just said, yeah, that really sucked. I'm so sorry. Yeah. What a tough experience. Like, I'm, you know, like all of those validating terms rather than like, well, it's not really that bad. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. a couple of days and, you know, whatever it is that people want to say. Yeah. 
Because if they're telling you they don't like it, they're tell like that's what they feel. That's that's really their experience. So validate that. <laughs> don't don't discard it. <laughs> yeah, and it can be tricky when what they're saying is something that you like or like they got something that you had wanted or like that's where it can be really hard and especially as as you know birth professionals because we are we tend to be privately very opinionated or like what <laughs> happens in our head um and so if somebody's you know grieving their birth like it would be easy for Natasha I mean she wouldn't because she's incredibly conscious of this but if somebody was sharing their trauma around their home birth because you know their mother-in-law showed up and she really didn't want her there and Natasha to say like, well, I wanted a home birth, but I had a C-section. Like it can be really hard to not consciously hold that space for them to grieve whatever it is that they need to grieve about their about their birth or their postpartum experience. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, yeah. Natasha, for for sharing this with us. Like, well, I do Bianca pre- shared it. Well, but... she did. She outed <laughs> With permission. With permission. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting that it just kind of came up on this day. So um, we'll see how it all goes. We needed some good content for you. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine a birth that's more different than the one I had planned, but mm. we're going to, uh, I've got some good people around me. That's for sure. I'm lucky to be a doula. Yeah. Yeah, I hope you have the space and the time and all the all the support to be able to, to wrap your head around it and make it a good experience, even under yeah, well, the circumstances. Yeah, I got about a week. Yeah, yeah. I got about a week to wrap my head around it. I'm forcing her to take time next week. I was like, so when are we going to talk about this? She's like, we're very busy. And I was like, we're going to carve out a birth plan and like a processing time. Yay. Good, good. Yes, do that. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, but we've talked about the myths. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about ways to avoid. Are there some ways to avoid or minimize birth trauma that we haven't spoke to about, uh, spoken about? We'll be right back. Hey, Mighty Ones. It is not uncommon for stress levels to go up while you're pregnant. You may be worried about the health of your baby, or maybe you're anxious about the birth, or maybe you're wondering how you're going to afford all the extra cost. Or maybe you're just guilt-ridden because you're not eating well and exercising and doing all those little things that everyone is telling you to do for the sake of your little peanut. Fortunately, there is one little simple thing you can do that won't take up more than 10 minutes per day and will improve not only how you feel about all these things I mentioned, but also your birth, the health of your baby, and your own immunity. That little thing is meditation, and yup, it can do all this and even help reduce your pain during labor. Don't know where to start? Easy peasy. Check out Expectful, an evidence-based guide meditation app created specifically for new, soon-to-be, or expectant moms. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com slash birthful. And don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. And we are back. And so, yeah, did we forget any myths? No, we have one. I mean, we like to highlight the difference between PTSD and postpartum depression, but we did, uh, Natasha went through those differences that would include more of that, you know, flashback and reliving and that, um, you know, hyperstimulation. That's what we see as well as some of the symptoms that would, would be overlapping with postpartum depression, but it, it, uh, does have its own unique symptoms having PTSD. Yeah, and I will link in the show notes. Um, I have an episode specifically on PTSD, so I will link to that. So if, if people want to listen more about the specific statistics and nuances, there's really great information with Cheryl Tintanoback, who um, is a researcher, a researcher that specializes in PTSD. 
Amazing. Yes. Um, so you, this can be avoided, which is a positive thing. Um, and I know that some of them are a little contradictory to the myths, but um, having support a supportive birth team, we are not promising that that, you know, it's a myth that a supportive birth team will, you know, completely make sure that you do not have any signs of trauma or any experiences of trauma, but it, it does help mitigate some of the possibilities for trauma and your birth going a different direction than you had imagined and, and to make sure that you do have that continuous support. So, um, we do, we do recognize that a birth support team will help reduce your risks of trauma. Yeah. And making sure that you're working with healthcare providers that listen to you and, you know, all of those things we talked about, not feeling heard, being bullied. Like if any of that stuff is happening during your prenatal appointments or during your pregnancy, then it, it might be time to stop and evaluate who you're working with as a healthcare team. Um, and get the support that you truly need because you don't want to have any, if you're feeling those feelings during pregnancy, those feelings of not being heard and bullied and not listened to, there's a very good chance that the same thing is going to come up during your birth, which is much harder to process at the time. Yes, absolutely. Red flags. Red flags mean, you know, do pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you mentioned, that informed consent is really, really important. So knowing what your options are, and knowing the benefits, risks, alternatives for all of them um, so that when they do come up that you can have either yourself or your birth team knows what questions to ask to make sure that um, nothing's happening to you, that that you have the experience that you're choosing and you're actively participating with that labor and birth process. That is like so key. Like we, I mean, well, you know, it's the foundation of everything we do. Um, so that definitely um, having those systems in place will help with uh, reducing the, the risks of birth trauma. Yeah. And I find that partners, birth partners are great. Like this labor of advocacy is inherently their wheelhouse because the, for birth to flow, the birthing person needs to go deep and go, you know, support those hormones and, and let the body do the birthing, which is means getting out of that thinking brain. Um, so talking ahead of time with their partner and their whole support team, making their wishes known, uh, creating a plan, like having everybody on the same page about it. So then that partner can advocate because as, as doulas we provide a lot of support and hold space but we can't speak for them mm -hmm, the, definitely right so the person who can really speak for them is that partner um spouse whatever so like ha figuring out that like having them own that and know that that is their primary job as well as being you know the loving person that nobody else can be um yeah yeah i, I actually love that in my prenatal appointments when I get to talk about that with the partners about giving them this role because oftentimes not all the times I find they're just like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing um, and giving them this role and labeling this role as being this protective person protecting the space um, is a really prideful moment and I think a lot of the times when I'm working with clients they're really happy to know that this is what their job is and that they have a role they have a what do we call that in business? Like when we make the, <laughs> the job description, their job description. Um, I think they really like it. A lot of the clients that I work with, some naturally would, would have done this anyway, but some really like to see this labeled and then know, okay, this is what my job is. 
Um, I actually love that time in the in the prenatal meetings and, you know, how it carries over into creating this safe environment for a mom so she can really, sh- like you said, shut off that thinking brain and do something else because she knows that we have her back, um, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's a huge one. Um, what other ways do you have to try to avoid or minimize birth trauma? Um, well, creating a safe, like the physical safe environment, we we think is really important. And, and obviously, that's going to vary from um, person to person, but making sure cause those are things that can sometimes slip to the side, like, you know, keeping the lights low if that's what they want or keeping the lights on if that's really important to them. Um, so making sure that that consistent, you know, those consistencies are happening. Um, and then the follow up after is is as important. Um, so like we talked about earlier, letting them name what their birth experience was, um, you know, using the same language once they have named it. So, you know, that can be another thing that we do to minimize, like we, we can hold space and we're like, okay, good. We haven't named it. They named it. Um, but then you like say something that's not matching the intensity of their experience, which can, you know, I always feel like I'm not being heard if someone's like, oh, that didn't sound very nice when I've used like really strong words, like about how impactful and terrible or whatever the case may be. And so he's <laughs> like, oh, that would be not nice. And I was like, oh, you're not hearing me. Mm. That's clearly not matching what I'm saying. Well, to we, you. we talk about that in birth a lot, too, <laughs> where it's like um, somebody is having a contraction and they're saying like this effing hurts or whatever. And then you're repeat, you're saying back to them, like, you know, enjoy this surge, you know, like (laughs) totally not connected um, with how they're feeling. So like try to match their language as as best you can. Like, so, you know, the first thing you do in those postpartum meetings is you're not, you're not telling them that they have to talk about their birth or anything, but you can just open up the dialogue. You know, do you want to talk about your birth? What was your experience like? Okay, well, what stood out for you? You know, just giving them the opportunity to talk about it but if they don't want to talk about it that is also okay it's no failure on your part either yeah for sure yeah and 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 letting them they're they're and and then if they don't let them know that if at any point they do want to that you're there for them I find because or even if you talk about it, it might require some further processing later on and talking about it. So just leaving that door open, um, because if they do feel trauma, that needs to be addressed at some point by you or other, you know, health professional or mental health professional, whatever. But it is to their benefit to ask for help and to process what they're feeling, because, as you said, it can lead to other things that cause further trauma or evolves to a postpartum depression yeah absolutely for sure and I mean if we have gotten to the point where they have um, experienced trauma and you have you know supported them through not ensuring that you didn't re-traumatize them through either their language or not acknowledging or something like that um, and they they are expressing that they you know are having these thoughts or this is some of their symptoms or they have actually named it you know that they feel like they have trauma or some some you know, PTSD or whatever, however they call it. Um, it is really important that you support uh, getting them some some extra care. So there's lots of really great associations um, to reach out. You can reach out to your doctor, your midwife. Um, in our community, we have an amazing woman called Olivia Scobie, and she's actually the first person who is doing um, non-gendered specific birth trauma work, which is really cool, and we're big fans of that. So she's in Toronto and. Um, she's she's doing some amazing work around birth trauma right now as well. 
Uh, she's got some great resources on her website. Like if anybody's looking for, you know, trying to determine whether or not they're, they have um, post-traumatic stress disorder or um, any kind of mood disorders, they, she has really great resources to help people find out um, if what they're feeling can be labeled as these things. And of course they can be, but we want to make sure that people are really reaching out and, and getting the support that they need. Like, um, birth trauma is not something that can just kind of be healed on its own. You really do need to reach out and start talking with people. Um, there's some other great websites too: the Birth Trauma Association, Birth Trauma Canada. Um, as birth professionals, you it is important that you know what's out there and what's in the area, and not just things that are like three month waiting list to talk to, but who they can talk to right away. Because mm-hmm. um, sometimes I don't know if that happens where you're at, but where we are. Um, Quite often, getting to talk to somebody free of charge is, you know, a couple months that you have to wait. And we want to make sure they're talking with somebody right away. So what are the support groups in your neighborhood that can help? Yeah, we don't have a universal health care. So there's no talking to anybody for free. (laughs) There's no time. There's no talking to free people. You can get in any time for money. Yeah. Yeah. And you can often do that here. Like if you know somebody that is um, in your neighborhood that something that works really well with um, post-traumatic stress disorder is cognitive behavioral behavior therapy. So if you know somebody in your neighborhood that specializes that and be- better yet specializes in birth, um, that might be somebody if some, if you're going to have to pay anyway, that's a, a good avenue to go. Mm-hmm. And do you know off the top of your head the link for Olivia's website? I do, oliviascobie.com, and it's Olivia, O-L-I-V-I-A, and then Scobie, S-C-O-B-I-E.com. Perfect, and I will link it in the show notes, but if people are listening and not reading, then they can jot that down. Yeah, um, she's absolutely brilliant when it comes to talking about birth trauma. This is her specialty, and um, absolutely people can reach out to her. Very cool, very cool. And there are some really great resources out there fantastic resources and you can find very local resources or resources online like distance doesn't quite matter that much anymore so I think it's great for people to know that there is help out there if they experience some sort of birth trauma Um, and that it's not a stigma like as you were saying 9% of women are saying they are experiencing some sort of trauma from their birth. That is a huge number. That is very monumental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a stat. Like, I'd be surprised if that's... Higher. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't be surprised if it's higher. It's just these are the the people that are able to reach out and, and feel like they can reach out. Um, there's lots of people who are suffer- suffering in, in silence, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I know from the, um, the speaking to mothers... Uh, research that in that one what they do is they talk to mothers before they have their birth talk about their wishes and they talk to moms afterwards and they follow they do a follow-up postpartum also like 10 months later or something I can't remember exactly the amount of months Um, and they were finding that one in three moms or were expecting were experiencing some sort of uh not necessarily postpartum depression, but a symptom of a postpartum mood disorder. Um, they were experiencing something of it. So it wasn't di- it wasn't something that could be diagnosed, like it wasn't at that level, but it was certainly ongoing unhappiness or bad feelings or there was something lingering. Like that one in three were unhappy about some part of their maternity journey. I was going to say that sounds like 
pretty good. I would have said higher. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sadly. Sadly. And yeah, and one in three sounds totally, totally, like, yeah, reasonable from what, unfortunately, from the maternal systems that we have to deal with. Yeah, I know. They're, they're very flawed systems. And, um, you know, like we started with, fortunately, it is getting some more attention. And yep. we are recognizing that, like, you know, women, we need to have agency over our bodies and our birthing people need to have agency over their bodies and, um, you know, choice, choices matter. And the baseline of, of a heartbeat for the birthing parent and the, the child or children is like so not acceptable. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, what? So we've covered quite a bit in this talk. <laughs> is there anything else that you guys had that you wanted to get to before we wrap up? One of the like more loaded things that we had for how to reduce birth trauma was, you know, big picture reducing the amount of interventions that are happening in birth, you know, on a global scale. And I know that that is something too big to be talking about right now, but like that that is something that is really important as we as we work towards um of birth trauma that people are feeling is reducing the amount of unnecessary interventions that are happening. Um, so, you know, you, you know, one in three women are having uh, emergency cesarean sections like that is can lead to birth trauma, especially if if it's called an emergency cesarean section and it's a it's it's it makes a woman feel like her and her baby are in grave danger. Um, this is going to, if this keeps elevating, if this keeps up, we're going to see more and more birth trauma. Yeah, no. And, and so, and I think that's kind of on all of us, whether we're birth professionals or not, um, to try to improve our experiences and sort of, you know, join some, like, look at what, look at the birth community around you and see what you can do to improve maternity care and, or join like big organizations. Like, you know, I know Dr. Neil Shaw is, is creating some great, um, what is it? Well, he had the Moms March. He was mm -hmm. one of the, the vice president for the Moms March that happened in Washington on Mother's Day. Um, and now Lamaze is doing a big push in October. Their conference is, instead of a conference, it's going to be an advocacy um, mm. process. Awesome. Yeah, in, directly in Washington. So, and I know, so I will, and, and, and talk to your providers. Like, tell them that that is not okay. If something's up, don't don't not write the letter. Think of just writing that letter and writing it to the hospital admin people, because that's how that's what they will listen to that and start change will start to happen. And if you tack on some evidence to it of how they're practicing out of evidence, then that will help move things along. Um, like there's little things that we can do, right? Of just yeah. and, and if somebody had a traumatic birth experience and they're telling you about it, acknowledge it, and then you know just hold space for them. So yeah, and, yeah, yeah. We need to take our, our agency back. It's really important, and I know that there's some great movements. Um, you know, like the mother friendly like policies that are being pushed, and 
Um, you know, we, we do need to, and I was recently talking to a, a group of moms, one of which was my client who had just given birth like 15 minutes before in her room filled with all the women in the hall that were excited and waiting for the baby to come. And, um, one of the other women had just had a baby about six months prior with the same doctor and was going on and on about how awesome this OB is. And she shared a story that and they were all laughing. They thought it was hilarious about how fabulous this OB was about, um, the mom who with the six month old said, Oh yeah, I had, I had the same doctor. And when I went in to one of my checkups, I said, I don't want an episiotomy thing, you know, to be cut. And I, I told my doctor, I didn't want that. And she, she replied, Oh, I'm sorry. Did you get a medical degree in the last week since I saw you? <gasps> and they all laughed and laughed and they're like, she's fabulous. She wears the best Prada. And I was like standing there with my jaw on the floor. And I was like, this is where our birth culture is this ultimate mm. trust somebody over our bodies um, and they don't necessarily make the best decisions for us or our children and um, and so I mean it's a major hurdle to leap and it's hard for us not to sound like angry doulas all the time <laughs> um, but we feel like we're going this uphill battle when when we're like you know yelling for women to take their choice back and and it's a it's a big mountain yeah I thought <laughs> we did pretty good we got like 40 minutes into this without sounding like angry doulas <laughs> like angry doulas <laughs> I don't know. I was pretty ranty at the beginning of Venezuela, and I'm going to bring it full circle right now because um, you were talking about the cesarean. So in in many of the Latin American countries, including Venezuela, the cesarean rate is between 60 and 90 percent. So, yes, this was a country that made a law about obstetric violence at the same time has a cesarean rate of 60 to 90 percent. That means that it can be like out of 10 babies, one is born vaginally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's seen completely as outrageous if you, if you choose to try for a vaginal birth. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's about that. Like if you're listening to this and you were thinking maybe the people around you or, or the culture you're in or your friends or your family, like, you don't know anybody who hasn't had the birth that you are hoping for and you feel like an outlier, know that you can have, you know, yes, empower yourself and, and, and do the choices that you that are right for you, the ones that, that resonate, whichever they are. Um, but don't do it because other people are telling you to. Yeah, we wouldn't like paint our house the color we didn't want. We wouldn't cut our hair the way that someone else, like, you know, if your stylist is like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. We'd be like, absolutely not. Um, yet something happens when we go into the birthing room that we just completely give over our, our control and agency and choice to somebody else. Yeah, because it's scary. Like there is, there is a lot at stake. It's the mm -hmm. health of you. Would want nothing whatsoever to ever harm your child. So. Okay. It's tough to navigate in that environment, but know that you can and find the support that will uphold what you, to help you have an experience that's that's good for you as you define it. Yeah, and absolutely. And another piece of that is just that a lot of the things we advocate for are actually healthier and safer for yeah. our babies. It's just that people don't know that. Um, so opening up that door for people as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if people want to get in touch with what you guys are doing or follow or, you know, just see more about all your trainings, how can they do that? Oh, amazing. Well, you can find out what's happening with us on our website at babomia.com. 
And we have just opened our doors to our registration for our doula training, which will go live for this fall. And it's a 13-week training. Um, It's all online, so you can live anywhere and take the training. Uh, But it's done live, so it's done with, you know, questions and conversation, and it's a fabulous training. So you can learn more about us there. Um, And you can also see what we do uh, on our Instagram channel. So our handle is Inc. and that's the same for our Facebook channel as well. And we always do Facebook Lives and have you know a, a fun mix of education and whimsy on both channels <laughs> fantastic and will you i'm gonna have you spell bebomia just just for fun all right so b-e-b-o-m-i-a dot com well it's been delightful talking to bianca and natasha um thank you for sharing all your knowledge and even your personal experience at the moment. <laughs> I'll keep you posted. We just bear all here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's just the three of us talking, so it's fine. <laughs> exactly. It's just us. It's our private chat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so much. It's been a delight. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. And you can still use the code SCHOOL this week to get some awesome discounts on both the Birth Partners Ultimate Labor Support Toolkit and my Thrive With Your Newborn online postpartum preparation classes. I've extended that sale, so go to birthful.com to learn more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Expectful. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.